0: Hello, everybody. Welcome to Grace This Weekend. It's been a great weekend so far. All God's people said OH. That's right. I just, guys, listen, if you're a Michigan fan, I want you to know Jesus loves you. He will never bless you. So, I mean, just however you feel about that, it's, it's fine. But uh, it's great to be together. Hey, before I uh, dive into our conversation this weekend, I want to be sure, uh, for those of you who don't know yet, to uh, be sure to explain the Hope Project. Uh, so the Hope Project here at Grace is um, our organizing outlets for generosity and service, okay, at, at the Christmas season. So let me say this, if you already have those outlets of generosity service and service and you have uh, uh, places that you give to and invest in and, and serve with or people that you know need, we want you, to, we want you to exercise all that. We want you to go to that. If you're looking for outlets of generosity and service, that's why we organize some so that you can have access to them. So that's what the HOPE Project is, okay? Uh, The HOPE Project has two main focuses. One is our city partners. Uh, So if you think of like uh, Urban Vision and South Street and Rahab Ministries, these are groups that we love and trust. We work with them year-round, and uh, a lot of what we're doing with the uh, HOPE Project is we're helping to supply their needs as they exercise their programs and ministries through the holiday season. So when you grab those tags and bring in a gift, a a soccer ball or a gift bag, whatever it is, that's what is going on with that. We'll take that. We'll give them to them. They'll take that, and they'll uh, invest that through their normal ministries uh, at the holiday season. And we love partnering with them. Encourage you always to do that. Encourage you to volunteer uh, with them year-round and their, their wonderful partners. The other kind of half of the HOPE project is uh, internal. So the, the Apostle James says specifically that local churches should look after widows and orphans. And so we take that literally here at Grace and always try to uh, uh, serve in those ways. And what we do at the holiday seasons is we'll find uh, a few of these families that have some unique needs that we feel like we can help meet uh, so, examples of that would be uh, one, uh, one young lady who's a widow. She has young children. She lost her uh, husband to cancer this last year. Her house and yard needs a bunch of work. So, everything from, like, fix the yard up to make the kitchen work right, and we want to take time and effort and money and invest in that and serve her and her children that way. Uh, another example is a lady... Uh, lost her husband about four years ago uh, her children are grown now and it's time for her to sell the house and downsize we want her we want to help her get the house ready to go on to market and so just serving her pitching in that way and then the third example is a, a single mom uh, has uh, several children at home she works three different jobs she's a hardworking uh, lady and she really needs some reliable transportation she's having trouble kind of getting over that hump Uh, to get a a vehicle she can count on. So we want to try to get that vehicle for her. So those are examples of what we would do with the HOPE Project. And out in the lobby are those tags. You can grab those tags. And uh, by the way, you've taken a ton of them, so thank you for doing that. Um, If you've taken one that is a financial tag, please remember to get that money in. That's what we'll pay for, all of these things. So you can grab the rest of those and do that. You can also serve. So if you'd like to serve uh, some of these families or serve our city partners, uh, we encourage you to do that as well. The best way to sign up for that <coughs> is um, through the app. So if you uh, hit the app, hit the Hope Project, hit give or serve. If you want to do both, you need to sign up at both, okay? And then we'll, um, we'll get that organized and uh, get those resources where they need to go and uh, bless folks that way. Now, let me say again, if there's, if there's a widow in your life or in your family, or if there's an organization that you're investing in, we encourage you to love them, get your friends, go take care of them, okay? This is, this is if you don't have that organized outlet already, this is what we've organized, and uh, would love for you guys to, to be a part of it. Okay, so grab those tags and do that, and uh, we'll help everybody celebrate Christmas that way. All right, we're starting a new series this weekend <clears throat> called Joy to the World, and I'm excited about that. As we we're talking about Christmas, uh, we said, what would be a good thing to talk about? And then uh, we looked around and said, joy and hope is something that we, we believe really needs to be kind of spoken of and celebrated and locked into our culture right now, so joy to the world. And we're going to take the song, the carol Joy to the World, and kind of use it as a guide Through our conversations, and then as the theme for our Christmas services here, coming in the end of the month. So I've been excited about this, and um, this at the beginning of this week, Monday, Tuesday, I was sitting down to kind of finish up our conversation for this weekend. I was in a great mood, right, because I was going to have a bunch of days off, which is even pastors like vacation. And so we're excited about that. And my family was coming into town. I love being with them, and so it was going to be fun to be together. And so I kind of sat down in like this peppy mood. To, uh, to start making notes, and I made the mistake of reading the news before I started. It was a huge mistake. And then the moment I, like, opened up the websites on the news, it was all, like, destruction and death and violence and insecurity and security alerts and all this kind of stuff. And it was, it, it literally kind of zapped the, the joy right out of me. It was kind of depressing. So I thought, oh, you know what I'll do? To cheer up a little bit, I'll open social media, huge mistake because that was everyone's opinions about everything that was going on around the world. So if you ever want to be depressed, just read your Twitter feed. It'll, it'll, it'll depress you right up. And so it was, it's just interesting that that's kind of the, it's kind of a cloud that is resting over our culture, but then our world too, right? We, we have some legitimate fears. We have concerns. We have things in the back of our Of our head and most of it's security from violence. So you think about Black Friday, also you're thinking about terrorism and all this kind of stuff and of course everything that happened in Paris and then internally the the hatred, you know, the shootings and all this garbage that happens in our culture and it, it weighs on us. And then there's the personal stuff, Right. There's there's my relationships and my friendship that malfunctioned and uh, my interaction with my family and all the things that happened to us. And in the middle of all of that, Christmas comes. So that that kind of realization got me thinking. And I started thinking about Joy to the World, the song. And I thought, I wonder, I didn't know much about the song, to be honest with you. And I thought, I wonder when this thing was written. So I looked it up. The guy that wrote it was a guy named Sir Isaac Watts who wrote it. And he published, the first time it was published was in 1719. I didn't realize it was that old. So this song is almost 300 years old. And then I started thinking, man, 300 years. How many times have the people of God gathered together at Christmas and sang this song in very desperate, dark circumstances? Right? So you think 300 years, so you're talking about the Revolutionary War, you're talking about the Civil War, uh, World War I, the, De- the Great Depression, World War II, the Civil Rights Movement, Vietnam, 9-11. Like, like all these things have happened, and, and that's the, the huge stuff, and then there's all the personal stuff, and in the midst of kind of dark and uncertain times, Christmas has interrupted all of that. And joy to the world has reminded us of the truth and the hope of Christmas. And, and it, it's, it's why we cling to it, that kind of the harder life is, the more that these things mean to us, because it reminds us that when things feel out of control, there is a God, he loves us, he came to us, joy to the world. That's why that resonates so deeply in, in, our, in our hearts. I then started to think about well, what what do we do with that then? It, the people of God, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, if you accepted the forgiveness of your sin, you've committed to live for the One who died for you. What do what do the people of God do? And it kind of registered with me that that unless someone tells people of the hope of Christmas, they'll ever, they'll never actually know about it. And the people of God are to do that. We're the ministers and the messengers of reconciliation, the ambassadors of Christ, to co-laborers with God. In fact, it's fascinating. The Apostle Paul says this in Romans 10. If you've got your Bibles, flip them open to Romans 10. It's page 788, and the Bible's in the chairs there. Romans 10, the Apostle Paul addresses this. So in verse um, 13, he says this, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's the... That's the joy to the world part, right? That there's a Savior that we can reach out to, we can call on, and our sins can be forgiven. So joy to the world, the, the Lord has come, right? So that's the joy to the world part. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Those of us who have done that, who have called on the name of the Lord, we have received the King. We have, we have locked into who God is, but... In order for hope to be received, it has to be brought to people. There are many who don't know. They they call the name of the Lord, you will be saved. Well, I don't know to call on the name of the Lord. Well, Paul says, yeah, you have to go tell them. Look at verse 14. How can they call on one who they have not believed in? And how can they believe in one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they're sent, as it's written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news? And as I, as I read that, I thought, ah, oh, that's, that's the job of the believer, that we bring the good news. We, we let people know that the reason that there's joy in the world is because the Lord has come. I looked back at the song then. I started reading the first phrase, the first verse. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. And you know the end, right? In heaven and nature sing, in heaven and nature sing. I'm not singing it. I would sing it on Saturday night or at the extension, but not for this service, right? So let heaven and nature sing. And as I was reading that, the, the, the part of that that popped out to me was this. Let every heart prepare him room. And I thought, oh, that, that's the calling of the believer. What, what we do is we help people's hearts prepare room to receive their King. We, we go and we tell the good news. We, we let folks know. We're the ministers, the messengers of reconciliation. We let them know that there's bad news, right? You are a sinner. The Bible says that every human being shares the same thing. We're sinners. The wages or the consequences of that sin is spiritual death, but joy to the world, The Lord has come. Christ came to rescue us, to save us, to forgive us. But how will they know unless we go tell them? How how will they know unless we do the work of reconciliation and proclaim the message of reconciliation? As I was thinking about that, I realized that there was one in the Scripture who was called specifically to do this, to go ahead of Christ, and the Bible says his, his calling was to prepare, prepare the way for the Lord. And his story is actually connected directly to the Christmas story. So if you take your Bibles, flip back to the left, maybe, I don't know, maybe 100 pages or so, to the book of Luke, Matthew, Mark, Luke, Luke chapter 1. So Luke chapter 2 is the, is the Christmas narrative. It's where the angels show up and the shepherds go and all that kind of stuff. Luke chapter 1 is the tee-up to Luke chapter 2. And Luke chapter 1 is where Gabriel comes, he visits Mary and tells her that she's going to have a baby from the Holy Spirit, and there's another miraculous thing that happens in Luke chapter 1. So Mary had a cousin, and her name was Elizabeth, and the Bible talks about Elizabeth and her husband, Zechariah. And Elizabeth and Zechariah had been married a long time, and, and she was never able to have children. It was always on her heart. She always prayed that she would have a child. And now she was old and past the, the ability to have children. Zachariah was a priest. And one time he was at the temple doing his priestly duties. He goes into this room and interacts with God. And while he's there, an angel shows up and says, hey, Zachariah, God's going to do a miracle. Your wife Elizabeth is going to get pregnant and you're going to have a son and you're to name him John. Zachariah has trouble believing this. He kind of questions the angel. And so the angel struck him mute. He wasn't able to speak until the baby was born, which is like every wife's greatest Christmas wish, isn't it? And so man, like nine months of silence. That would be so, so Zachariah couldn't talk. Zachariah and Elizabeth get pregnant. She gives birth to John Zechariah can speak, and this John would have been Jesus' cousin. This person, John, is who we often call John the Baptist. He was the first person to kind of publicly recognize that Jesus is the Messiah, and he's the person who baptized Jesus. Zechariah, when John was born, he sang a song about this miraculous thing that God did, which was very kind of normal in the ancient Jewish world that someone would do this. And his song is recorded in Luke chapter one. So if you look at Luke chapter one, verse 67, his father, Zachariah, this is John the Baptist's father, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of a servant, David. As he said through the holy prophets long ago, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham, to rescue us from the hands of our enemies, to enable us to serve him without fear and holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And then he talks specifically about his son, John, in verse 76. And you, my child, John will be called the prophet of the Most High. You will go on before the Lord to prepare a way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven, to shine on those who living in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the path of peace." And as I was reading that, I realized, well, the calling on John's life is the calling on our lives. This is the idea that, that we are the ambassadors of Christ. We go ahead of the message of Christ, and we interact with people, and we help them prepare room in their hearts to receive their King. And Christmas time in our culture is a big deal where everybody's talking about our Lord and Savior, and it's a perfect environment to do just this, to help people prepare room in their heart to receive their King, to go ahead of the message of Christ and connect it with people in that way. So I started looking at this, and I started looking at what John was called to, and I thought, well, let's pick this apart and see what we're called to as well. So here's the question. How do we help others prepare room in their lives for Christ? We have to grab hold of this because like John, verse 76, we are the prophet of the Most High. In the New Testament, the word prophet means messenger or truth teller. So every follower of Jesus Christ is is a prophet in essence. We tell the truth of who Christ is. We bring the message of the gospel, the good news of Jesus. We're the messengers of reconciliation. We're the ambassadors of Christ. This is our role. How do we do it? How do we go before and prepare a way for Christ, help people prepare room? Here's the first thing that came to, that jumped out to me was verse 77. The prophet of the Most High, you'll go ahead before the Lord to pray a way for him to give the people knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sin. The first way that we help people prepare prayer room is this. We give them the knowledge of salvation. We give them the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sin. So when I was growing up in my little uh, church I went to, we used to say this phrase a lot. We used to say, Jesus is the reason for the season. Anybody ever heard that? Jesus is the reason for the season. If you have a sweater that says Jesus is the reason for the season, you should, you should probably burn it. I, I'm just saying that's a tacky sweater, but, but th- that little phrase, Jesus is the reason for the season. But when our church talked about that, we said that in a reactionary way with anger, right? We said it in a reactionary way with anger. So we would come to church, because in, in our Milo church, the church was a place that you went to be with holy people and you kept yucky people out, people with long hair and tattoos, stuff like that. Many of you would not be allowed in the church. And so, right, so we would go in, and, and the idea was this, that the culture was attacking Christ, and as a reaction with anger, the pastor would say, it's not materialism, it's not Santa, it's not Rudolph, Jesus is the reason for the season, right? Joy to the world! And, and it kind of <laughs> went like that. And so I, w- I was raising that tone. And so everything, it would look at the culture and you would, you would fight against the culture. I was actually in a meeting one time where a pastor said, straight up, he said, if you take the letters of Santa and rearrange them, it's spelled Satan. I was like, that's fantastic to know, right? And so, Santa is Satan, Christmas trees were pagan rituals, they were gods of fertility. I hated to break the news to him that so is Estar, which is what we call Easter. So anyway, so, like, and Rudolph was, you know, a, a communist, red-nosed, and, and the, right, and Elf on the shelf was a demon always moving out to kill you. It, kind of thing. it was just this, and Jesus is the reason for the season, right? And so that was the mindset. And, and I would say that is not the knowledge of salvation. This is not what John was called to, nor are we called to. Guys, listen, this, this is the thing with Christmas. The biggest thing, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, the biggest thing to remember when wanting to proclaim the knowledge of salvation to our culture is that our culture doesn't know. There are some people in our culture that hate Christmas and want to do away with Christmas, and they get lots of media play and and whatever. But that's not the normal person. The normal person is caught up in busyness. The normal person is caught up in gift giving. The normal person is caught up almost in the pressures of the holiday. And the normal person is simply not doing the math. They, they would look at Jesus being born, the baby in the manger, and they would identify that as a Christian holiday. There's a Christian holiday, there's Jewish holidays, there's Muslim holidays, there's all kinds of holidays. And they would look say, yeah, that's a Christian holiday, it's a gift-giving time in our culture, it's a, it's a big deal. And that's the depth of which they would interact with Christmas. They're not rejecting God, they don't know about him. They, they've never done the math that that baby is the arrival of our salvation because when they're going to the Christmas party, they're not thinking about their soul. They're thinking about the party, the get-together, right? And so as a follower of Jesus Christ, as one who prepares the way, who goes ahead, who helps people make room for Christ, what I, what I do is, is I, I, as a Christian, I want to do math. I want to help them recognize that the baby in the manger is the man on the cross. And I want to help them to connect those dots. And that's the question. Have you ever sat down with your kids and made that connection for them? It's not that you don't need to ban Santa from your house. He's a cartoon. You don't ban Tom and Jerry, right? It's not a big deal. But have you made the connection of who Christ is? Have you, when you're having that conversation with your friend at the party, and it gets the party's winding down and the conversation gets a little bit deep, have you done the ma- have you given the knowledge of salvation? Did you know that that's our Lord and Savior? Do you ever think about that? The baby, the sole reason the baby came was to die. See, and you, you find the right moment, and it's always with gentleness and respect but it's the knowledge of salvation, right? And and that's a huge way that I help prepare room. Did you know this? Have you ever considered this? Is this part of how you think of Christmas, that you would stop and be grateful and recognize and download the depth of the Savior? See, joy to the world. The Lord has come. What does that mean and why? So I do that, I, I help prepare room by giving a knowledge of salvation. Zechariah goes on and talking about John a little bit more, he says this, my son, you're the prophet, you're the messenger, you're gonna go on before the Lord, prepare the way for him to give people the knowledge of salvation. The verse 78 says this, because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven. Another way that we help prepare room in people's hearts, is by explaining the heart of our Savior. By explaining the heart of our Savior, right? One of the things that we don't think about much is the motive for Christmas. Why is there Christmas? Well, celebrating Jesus' birth, you just say. okay, great. Why was Jesus born? What was his motive for doing that? If his... If his Primary purpose for coming to the planet was to live, to suffer, to die, to seek and save that which was lost. What would motivate him to do that? This is something that I'm I'm hugely passionate about. In in, in the little church that I grew up in, the tradition I grew up in, when when I went to church, what what we did at church is the pastor reminded us that we're sinners, and so he would he would say, "You're a sinner. You have rebelled against God." Uh, you stand in defiance of God. You are, you are by nature an object of God's wrath. And then you would go back every week, and he would tell you the ways that you're sinning. He would make sure you knew. You sin with your thoughts, and you sin with your money, and you sin with your life, and you sin with sex, and you sin with drugs, and you sin with blah, blah, blah. And he would give you a new sin every week. And I grew up in a tradition in which it was crystal clear unequivocally clear that I am a wretched sinner standing in rebellion against God. And that teaching is 100% correct. That is true. That is the human condition. Everything my pastor said to me was absolutely true and incomplete. So when I thought about my relationship with God, I knew I was a sinner. Like I, never, I never wondered if I was a good person or not. I knew I was a sinner. And I thought about this. God, God came to get me out of my sin. I could accept Jesus as my Savior. And, and, my, and the Christian life for me was I'm teetering on the edge of hell and I better get my act together. I better quit smoking, drinking, chewing, date girls who do cheering for any team in Michigan. And and, right, and so, and I'm teetering on the edge of hell. And if I do the wrong thing at the wrong time and the wrong way, it might tip the scales and I just will tumble into hell. And the teaching was this, that I'm the sinner in the hands of an angry God. And that's not true. I'm a sinner, yes, in the hands of a merciful God. Why did Christ come? Why did God ask his only son? A God that's out to get me does not send his only son to save me. A God who loves me. A God who's compassionate. A God who's full of grace. A God who wants to make a way of escape. A savior, Jesus who wishes that none would perish but all would know him, who is willing to suffer the wrath of his father, the consequences of my sin he took on his shoulders for me. The heart of God is not to zap you. The heart of God is to love you and to save you. Do you deserve to be zapped? Yes, you're a wicked sinner, so am I. All of us are. We're born into it. But God wants to be with us. Emmanuel. Jesus came to live with us. Why? So we could understand him. To do what? To suffer, to die. How come? To pay the consequences for our sin. And he rose again, proving that he is God. And he defeated sin and death so that you and I could have a way of escape. And that's the passion of God. That's the heart of God. And Zacharias says, my, my son, he's going he's to tell that too. There's a knowledge of salvation. You need a Savior. And there's a motive for the Savior. It's, his, it's the mercies of God. It's his kindness. See, And that does not downplay my sin. It elevates the heart of Christ. So I help people prepare room in that way. I think through those questions. I illustrate that in my life. I am merciful and I am graceful as an ambassador of Jesus Christ. And I go, I prepare the way for the gospel by in part instructing and showing and helping people see the motive in the heart of Christ. Zechariah goes on. You're the prophet of the Most High. You go before the Lord to prepare a way for Him. You give people the knowledge of salvation. You demonstrate the heart of God. Tell of the tender mercies of God. Verse 79. We do this to show, to shine on those living in darkness in the shadow of death. Christ is going to, you're going to help shine into the darkness and shine onto people who live in the shadow of death. We help to prepare room by shining light in darkness dark places. I wrote this in my notes. The greatest environment for Christ's love for humanity to shine is it against the backdrop of Satan's hatred of humanity. That's good. Somebody should tweet this out. The, the greatest environment for Christ's love for humanity to shine is against the backdrop of Satan's hatred of humanity. Guys, when you watch the news, read the news, what do you see You see Satan's hatred of those who God passionately loves. That's what you see. Satan's hatred is on display. Jesus said this in John chapter 10, verse 10. He said, the thief, that's Satan. The thief comes only, big word, important word. He comes only to steal and kill and destroy I, Christ, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I've come to do the exact opposite. Satan's only reason, only reason for interacting with humanity is to steal, kill, and destroy humanity. Satan hates human beings. Why? Because God loves him. God loves him. He came to give life He came to sacrifice. He came to give life to the fullest. Satan does what? His only reason is to steal, kill, and destroy. And when you watch the circumstances of our globe, and you think of your pain in your own life, what you're seeing is Satan fulfilling his only calling, his only reason for interacting with humanity. Satan hates. He hates the terrorist who straps on the bomb vest thinking they're going to go to heaven when they're really going to arrive in hell. He hates the people who receive the shrapnel from that bomb. He hates everyone who loses their security, their sense of safety is stolen from them. You're seeing the evil one on display. And against the backdrop of hatred, Christmas. It interrupts every single time. Joy of the world interrupts the hatred of the, of the evil one. It lives in stark contrast. See? And Peter says that's what, that's what the people of God do. They serve as the ambassadors of that contrast. This is what Peter says in, in 1 Peter chapter 2. He says, Live such good lives among the pagans or among people who are godless, that though they accuse you of doing wrong... They may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits. For it's God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. This is the idea. As the ambassadors of Jesus Christ, as the ministers of reconciliation, as those who go before and make a way for the Lord to help prepare room, the darker the circumstances globally, the darker the circumstances personally, I, as a follower of Jesus, I live above it. I introduce, I shine the light in dark places. In the shadow of death, which we all live under right now, every time you think about taking a a trip and you're afraid because of a terrorist, every time an alert comes to the mall and you think about, that's the shadow of death. That's security being pulled away. In the shadow of death relationally, in the shadow of death in your family, the shining light of Christ I'm going to live above it. I'm not going to participate in it. For every act of hatred, there's an act of love. For for every act of materialism, every time there's a fist fight on Black Friday, the overwhelming generosity of the people of God. Every time there is fear, love displaces it. And it's an enormous opportunity to help people prepare room to receive their king. I am going to live differently. I'm going to be defined by Christ. And in doing so, I'm going to illuminate the darkness, right? I'm going to be used by God. And I'm going to be such a different person. I'm going to be like a city on a hill, like a candle on a stand in a dark room. That might even, it might even cause somebody to look at me and say, what? What is the reason for the hope within you? Why, are you, why, are, why do you have joy when everything feels so depressing? See, and it brings light to a dark place. And I prepare the way for the gospel with that. I help make room to receive the King. Zachariah says one last thing about John. He says, my son, you're a prophet. You're a messenger of the Most High. You go on before the Lord, prayer way for him. You're going to give people the knowledge of salvation. You're going to explain the heart of God, the tender mercies of God. You're going to shine light in dark places to people living in the shadow of death. And then at the end of verse 79 you're going to help guide our feet to the path of peace. Guide our feet to the path of peace. I help prepare room by guiding people to peace. This is huge. As a follower of Jesus Christ, one of the greatest things I can be is a peacemaker. I help people find peace. Now, this is probably the, the most personal part of this whole thing. Because the, the parts of the holidays that drive us all nuts is the parts in which the potential for peace to break down is high, right? This is why we all get a little tense about the family coming over. This this is where all of that comes from. Because we realize, oh man, I'm I'm entering an environment where peace could be lost. And the greatest opportunity for you to be an ambassador of peace is probably in your family room. You're probably not... the President Obama is probably not going to call you and send you to the Middle East as a peace envoy, okay? Let me know right away if he does. I got some things to tell you. But right, that's probably not. You're probably going to be the peace envoy at the dining room table, the peace envoy at your aunt's house, the peace envoy, right? So with that idea, you have to decide, am I going to be a participant in my circumstances or am I going to go ahead and help prepare the way for the Lord? Am I going to help make room in someone's heart to receive their king? So it's, it's those family holiday situations. When, when your sister-in-law calls to start the holiday drama about your other sister-in-law and her attitude, see, how, how, are you going, how are you going to position yourself in that? Are you going to be a peacemaker, one who guides people to peace? When your husband gets you a statement gift, ladies, you ever gotten a statement gift? Here's an iron. Got you a new sweeper. Thought maybe he'd help you clean. When you want to commit bodily assault with a Hoover, right? <laughs> Deciding, like, am I going to be an, an envoy of peace? Fellas, when your wife gets a gift for her disguised as a gift for you, we've all gotten them. Here's a portrait of our wedding photo. Well, oh, I've been wanting that. Right? <laughs> oh, it's a nerve, does right? it? Right? It's a... Right? It, how do I position myself as a peacemaker? When you get your kids a new iPhone and they're offended you didn't buy the case? I got to buy that on my own? What, with my Christmas money? <laughs> right? And you want to you wanna see if the iPhone is really shatterproof? <laughs> like, on your kid's face? Right? Right? How do I position myself in a place of peace? When your brother puts out a tweet and you know it's about you, how do you serve as an envoy of peace? When you, are, when you have to schedule four different Christmases, because both sets of parents remarried, and that's awesome, and hopefully the step brothers and sisters will come, because we love being together. See, when you have to go to grandma's house and she reminds you that by the time she was your age, she was married and had two kids. And that makes you feel mm, warm and fuzzy, <laughs> right? When you have to leave your close friends at college and go home for a week and spend a week at Dysfunction Junction, and you just can't wait to do that. See, how, how do you engage those environments, and Zechariah says, my son is going guide, to guide us to a path of peace. By going before the Lord, he's going to make room for Christ so that when the, when the Messiah comes up, the distractions are gone. He's going to help be an envoy of peace between people and then between people and their Savior, yeah, that works so I, I help with that I help prepare a room by helping to point people toward peace and I kind of decide like how do, I, how do I engage this whole thing am I in it I'm just a part of the drama do I, do I just like ignore it I'm not showing up this year I have <laughs> the flu or am I on mission isn't this great? God brought my whole family to one place. It really saves time with connecting with all of them. Isn't this awesome? The crazy cousin is coming. I've been needing to reach out to them. Isn't this terrific? See? The office party is great. Hopefully, Debbie Downer will be there, and I can give her joy and security and hope. Christmas tees all of that up if you want to be on mission. Because the the whole culture is having a conversation about your Savior, whether they know it or not. That's what's happening. And if I decide to accept the mission of helping to prepare room, I can give a knowledge of salvation, I can illustrate and explain the heart of God, I can illuminate the dark places, and I can lead people down a path of peace. And the calling on my life is a lot like the calling on John the Baptist's life, and I can point people toward the Savior that they need to know. right? It's so a joy to the world, right? Joy to the world. The Lord has come. That's a big deal. The Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. You know what, God? I'll help. I'll help. I volunteer. Right? Use me in a different way this Christmas. So here's the questions I wrote down. First, it's, it's kind of an obvious one, but it's got to be a starting point. Have you prepared room in your heart for Christ? So guys, think about this. If, if you have never engaged Christ as a savior, right? This is the knowledge of salvation. The baby in the manger is the man on the cross. The reason he showed up in the manger was to go to the cross. And if you've never engaged that from a point of salvation where, where you would look and say, oh, the, the reason God, I'm a sinner. That's, that's true. It's that's the deal. I'm a sinner. And Christ is my only hope of salvation. He's the only way. Have you ever received Christ as your Savior Ask for the forgiveness of sin. Repent is the Bible word. It just means to turn around. I was going this way. I was going away from God, and I'm going to go to God. Repent of my sin, and I want to live for the one who died for me. Have you ever invited Christ into that space in your heart? Have you made room for your king? And if you've never done that, I encourage you to do that today. God is not out to get you. He's out to love you. He would have got you by now. It's not that hard. He loves you. And if that love of Christ, if if that registers in a different way today than it's ever registered before, your, your heart feels funky. That is something spiritual happening. The Bible says that's the Holy Spirit drawing you to himself, drawing you to salvation. And I encourage you to respond to that. And you can pray, ask God to forgive you of your sins, acknowledge him as Lord. You don't have to say special words. There's not like a secret prayer. Just from your heart to God's heart, be in agreement with what we just talked about. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I encourage you to do that today if you've never done it before. Here's the second question. For those of you and those of us who have accepted Christ as our Savior... Are you willing to be on mission? Here's a prayer I dare you to pray. Double dog dare you to pray. I pray this prayer a lot. It's fun. I ask God to give me no-brainer moments. I'm not the brightest bulb in the pack. Let's be honest. Right? So I need no-brainer moments. And so I, I ask God all the time, God, I volunteer. I volunteer. I want to help hearts prepare a room for you. I volunteer to help. But you've got to give me no-brainer moments. You could pray, God, when I get together with my family, could you give me a no-brainer moment to know that now is the right time to talk about you? I want to do it with gentleness and respect, so guide my thoughts and my words. But I don't want to, I don't want to be the obnoxious person So could you give me a note? Like, could you literally have somebody look at me and say, could you tell me the reason for the hope that's within you? Give me the no-brainer moment. God, when when I go to the party, I I volunteer. I want to be a part of this, but I need help. Would you give me the no-brainer moment at the party? Would you, when the party's winding down and things are quiet, could could you have somebody look at me and ask me why I go to church or why why, uh, being a Christian is so important to me? Like give me the no-brainer moment. Guys, listen. You start praying for the no-brainer moment and you'll have them all the time. God loves that prayer and he will answer it. He'll give them to you. Right? That's praying for the desires of God's heart. And so I dare you to do it. Everybody's talking about Jesus. It's Christmas time. right? His, his name is in the title. And so it's, a, it's, a, it's teed up. And if the people of God lock onto the mission of God and go before the gospel, bring the good news, right, it could be, it could be a blast to do that. So I encourage you to pray that as well. All right, let's take a minute before, before we go back out to the noise of the, of the holiday season. And why don't you bow your heads and close your eyes if you want to, and let's pray. And what if you just hang out with God for a minute? And if you, if you need to re- receive your king, say that. Just use your words. Don't worry about saying it right. God knows what you mean. But ask Christ to save you. And if you want to volunteer, volunteer. And start asking God to give you a no-brainer moment. Or whatever else God is laying on your heart now, bring that to him. Jesus, we love you, and we're incredibly grateful that you would come to us, that you want to be with us. You don't despise us, you don't resent us, you're not stuck with us, you love us, and you want to spend the day with us, walk through life with us, we're grateful for that. God, help us to do all that math, give us a, a clearer view of your heart. And then, God, as we get a clear view of your heart, as we receive your love on deeper and deeper levels, God, let it exude from us. Let that come through and let us love the people that you love in the same way. God, in these moments of quiet and reflection, take these songs, take this time, press deeply into us. And we love you. Thank you for Christmas. It's in your name we pray. Amen.